0: Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric.
1: important, follows that mountaintop moment. The foot of the mountain is where we encounter a story of hope. And so this morning, I want to invite you to go on a journey with me and to see from our text today two scenes. I want you to see hope on the mountain, and then I want you to see hope off the mountain or at the foot of the mountain. So we'll journey with Jesus and three of His disciples On the mountain and then we'll come off the mountain. On the mountain, hope and glory was displayed. Off the mountain, hope was diminished and pessimism was displayed. So we move in the scenes of the story from hope to despair and then because of Jesus back to hope again. The two scenes this morning. I want to begin right in the text, Mark chapter 9, and we'll look first at verses 2 through 8. The Bible says, that After six days Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, right? the three inner circle disciples. They got to see and experience things that the others didn't. Peter, James, and John often grouped together, the lead of the twelve, these three. And He led them up a high mountain by themselves, The other gospel writers tell us that they were praying there on the mountain. Jesus is praying, and behold, He was transfigured before them. The Greek word transfigured is a word we get our word metamorphosis from, right? He was changed. He was changed before them. How could we explain it? How could we describe it if we weren't there, if we didn't see it? I mean, Peter tries to kind of describe it a little bit in 2 Peter. John would kind of try to describe it a little bit in 1 John, right? But they can't put it into words, and I couldn't put it into words. I can't explain to you what it must have been like as Jesus becomes king of glory there on the mountain of transfiguration. It says, and his clothes became radiant. He's trying to describe it, Mark is. Intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, Eliyahu, Moshe. And they were talking with Jesus, with Yeshua. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, uh, sukkahs, tabernacles, for you. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, Mark lets us know he didn't know what to say. (laughs) Would you? Would I? For they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I want you to compare a couple of mountains with me. Two mountains that we find in Scripture. This comparison of two mountains of glory. Can you think back to another mountain where a man saw the glory of God? Back perhaps in the Old Testament, perhaps in Exodus, when Moses saw the glory of God in Exodus 33 and Exodus 24. I want you to try to compare Moses and Mount Sinai with Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses went up a mountain. Jesus also went up a mountain. Moses saw the glory of God. Jesus was the glory of God. Moses' face beamed, we're told, with glory. Jesus himself beamed with glory. Glory. You see, one reflects glory and one is glory himself. There on the mountains, Moses experienced the cloud and the Shekinah glory in that cloud of God. There on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus experienced the cloud. On the mountain, Moses heard the voice of God. On the mountain, Jesus heard the voice. And then think about what happens and you'll see when they came down the mountains. When Moses first went down the mountain, he saw a terrible thing, a golden calf. People worshiping that idol. But when Jesus comes down the mountain, he too is going to see a terrible thing. And we'll see this in a minute, see it very soon. There are two mountains. And these two mountains were, were mountains of God's Shekinah glory Mount Sinai and the mountain of transfiguration. The best way perhaps the only way that a man can see the glory of God was to see Jesus in this way. At this time, the only way for Peter, James, and John, in fact, the best way for Peter, James, and John to see the glory of God was, it wasn't on top of Mount Sinai. It wasn't in the tabernacle. The best way, the only way, was to see Jesus Himself transfigured before them and to see the glory of God. And they saw it. They got a taste of glory divine. When He walked this earth, Jesus temporarily set aside His glory or veiled His glory for you and for me. It's what He did for us when He limited Himself. But now He's taken it up again. Today we think about His glory. We behold His glory. And there on the mountain we see Jesus' glory. And we also see this in the text that two Old Testament saints survive. They're not... Dead or extinct, I mean, they're not in soul sleep, right? They don't just cease to exist. They're there, right? One that was caught up, Elijah. One that died, naturally, Moses. And there are these two saints. They're very much not extinct. They're there, they're surviving, they're speaking there on the mountain with Jesus. I want you to think about what happens there. It says, And there appeared to them, verse 4, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I want you to think about this. Those two men of God, and then the voice of God. The two men of God. Why these men? The two men of God, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the founder. Elijah, the reformer. Moses, the law. Elijah, the prophets. Right there, right, representing the law and the prophets. Moses, who died. Elijah, who was caught up. These are the two men, and rightly so. And the two men are speaking with Jesus. Luke's Gospel tells us that they were speaking about His departure, literally about Jesus' exodus, His coming out and going in. Oh, the conversation that must have been taking place. Because we know that very soon Jesus would depart. We know that very soon Jesus would do on the cross and with the tomb what Moses and Elijah could never do. Jesus would bring salvation, something that the law could not do, something that Moses couldn't do, something that the prophets, that Elijah could not do. The gospel, and the gospel alone, does what the law and the prophets cannot do. I wish that our Jewish friends understood that. It's not Moses and the Law. It's not Elijah and the Prophets. It's only the Gospel. It's only Christ. It was His departure. It was His finished work on the cross. G. Campbell Morgan, a, a preacher in England, said these words, "...the Founder and the Reformer talked with the King upon the Holy Mount of all He was about to do, which they had failed to do, and the way of accomplishment was realized to be that of the cross." They're on the mountain. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and, they, and He led them up a high mountain by themselves, and He was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant intensely white, whiter than anybody could ever bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The three disciples were led by Peter. In fact, the twelve disciples were led by Peter. And Peter wants to do this. He doesn't know quite what to say and he doesn't know quite what to do. But he wants to build tabernacles around them. A place or a shelter of God's glory. Isn't that what the Old Testament tabernacle was? It, It sheltered God's glory. It was the place of God's presence. And you tabernacled that glory. Lord, let's build tabernacles and tabernacle the, your glory and the glory of Elijah and, and Moses, right? And Let's veil that glory. On the mountain, we're really given a vision and a voice. We're given a vision of a cloud. And we're given the voice from heaven. Bible says that that cloud, just like the cloud overshadowed Israel at times, that glory cloud, the cloud that led them, this this presence, this symbolism of God. In verse 7 it says, and that cloud overshadowed them. God was there. And then the voice. The voice came out of the cloud, verse 7, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The voice of God contains two key words, right? There were three times in the Gospels that the voice broke through the silence. This is one of them. One was at a baptism, another was at a, a different time. But the, the two key words that I see here, son and listen. This is my beloved son, important, identity. This is his identity. And here's your activities, very important too. Listen, listen, son, His important identity. Listen, our important activity. And then it says, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. You see, this mountain of transfiguration, it actually looks back and it looks forward. The transfiguration looks back to the Old Testament and to Moses and and to Mount Sinai and to Israel, but it also looks forward to Jesus Christ and to His second coming to the glory in which Christ will one day return. It It looks forward. It is a taste of hope. There on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus gives the disciples a taste of hope. Like we sing in Blessed Assurance, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And that's what it was. It was a foretaste of glory divine. A foretaste of His glory, but also a foretaste of their glory. The Bible says that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Right? And we will be glorified one day. And it it was that. He was giving them, let me show you, just give you just a taste of your heavenly hope. And so it looks back, but it also looks forward to the better day that's coming. Let's continue in this scene. We're still on the mountain, but we're starting to come down. Look at verses 9 through 12. As they were coming down the mountain, He charged them, He told them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, right, until after. Questioning, what this rising from the dead might mean. Shh, don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. Okay, what's he talking about, Rise from the dead? Right, what, what in the world? So they ask a question. And they asked in verse 11, why... Do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? That Elijah must come first, one translation says, right? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things, be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Coming down the mountain. As they come down the mountain, the disciples' question was about the Malachi prophecy, specifically Malachi 4 5, that says, right, that Elijah would come before the Messiah. That Elijah would come with a proclamation. And Jesus tells them, He says, This this was partially fulfilled in John the Baptist. I tell you that Elijah has come. Look at what they did to him. They off with his head, right? They killed John the Baptist. And he said, and they're going to kill me. You know, tell me this, how is it written that the Messiah is going to have to come and suffer and die? And so there as they're coming down the mountain, the gospel is mentioned. Don't tell anyone until I rise from the dead. Right? The resurrection is mentioned. He talks about the suffering that he'll go through, right? In many ways, Elijah had come. Elijah in that ministry, that type of John the Baptist ministry had come. And really, we, we really believe that Elijah will appear again. Perhaps in the tribulation. It's so sad because our Jewish friends in Israel today, when they celebrate Passover, they still set a seat for Elijah. And it's empty. And they set it there and they sometimes even crack open the door. And it's because they say, we're waiting for Elijah to come. Because when Elijah comes, then the Messiah will come. And we would say, oh, Elijah has come. And he also was the spirit of Elijah that John the Baptist preached. And he will come again, but you've missed the Messiah. He had to come first, not as the victorious Messiah, but as the suffering Messiah. He had to die on the cross for our sins. But when he comes back, he'll come back in that glory. They're coming down the mountain. And then they move off the mountain. So go to the second scene with me. right From this hope on the mountain to this valley. They move from the mountain of glory to the valley of demons. Literally. It's a valley of demons. They move from heavenly glory to hell on earth. They move from the mountain with Moses and Elijah and with the voice of God to the disciples down below with the scribes and the voices of arguing and debating. On the mountain Jesus is recognized as king. Off the mountain, you know this, he was often not recognized as king. He was questioned. He was doubted. At the foot of the mountain, we come to what is a hopeless situation. There was a hope deficit. Remember, that was the first message in our We Have Hope series. We talked about how we often operate with a hope deficiency, from a hope deficit. We live in a culture of cynicism and and pessimism. And there, off the mountain, there was certainly a hope deficit. Cynicism all around. Pessimism all around. So look at it with me, verses 14 through 18. They're coming down the mountain. They're off the mountain. When they came to the disciples, the other nine, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes, the Torah teachers, the teachers of the law in the Old Testament arguing with them. <laughs> this is my son. Listen to him. To, yeah, 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 like my kids in the back seat, right? Gosh. Now, I want to go up the mountain, don't you? Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him, and they greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd, a man, a father, asked him, Teacher, Rabbi, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, right? A demon. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, right? I bring him to you. I should be able to bring him to your disciples. They should be able to cast him out. He says this, and they weren't able. They weren't able. He is frustrated. So we come off the mountain. The nine are arguing. The scribes have pounced on their failure. The scribes have pounced on their inability to drive out the demon. And they're arguing. You guys couldn't do it? See, I can imagine this heated debate, right? Like they love this opportunity to say, Oh, no, no, you guys have failed. Hope. When you think about hope, hope has to have the right source. Hope has to have the right substance. The nine seem to lack this at this moment. They don't have their hope in the right source and the right substance, as you're going to see. The Father seemed to lack the right source and substance at this specific time. And certainly the nine had misplaced trust at this time. Maybe they're trusting in themselves, right? Formerly, we're told that the disciples had healed. Remember that? When they were sent out and they healed the sick and they come back to Jesus and they're telling Him, oh, look, the demon submitted to us and we were able to heal and we're able to do this, so why can't they now? Formerly they've had some success. Now they can't heal. Why? Why? Well, soon we're going to see that. Think about it with me. As Jesus was on that mountaintop praying, He was changed. As the nine are off the mountain, they are not praying, and nothing is changed. Do you see? On the mountain, Jesus is praying, and He's changed. There, they're not praying, and nothing's going to change in this situation. And they can't, and the scribes see them not be able to do this, and they just start to debate, right? It's a terrible situation. But somewhere amidst all that, there's this really hopeless situation. There's still a man and his son, and they're suffering. Right, all of his life. This boy has had this this type of epilepsy and it's demonic induced, right? And and all of, all of his life they have suffered and struggled. How do we approach Jesus? One great preacher said, we approach Jesus in helplessness, not holiness. You just come helpless. You don't have to come holy, because who could, right? We don't come, right? Jesus, to approach you, I have to come all holy. And you come helpless. And I can't do anything, and I'm coming to you, Jesus, just in my helplessness. Think about it. On the mountain, this is my beloved son. It's glorious. Off the mountain, here's my son. He's suffering. This is my son. This is my son. Help. Can you do anything, so your disciples are not able. So let's continue. Look at verse 19 through 24. Jesus will speak. And He answered them, O faithless generation. I don't know how He said it. I wish we had tone of voice. I don't know if it was, O faithless generation. I don't know if it was, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Right? We don't know. O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the demon, right? We're in the valley of demons, not on the mountain of glory and prophets. And, right. Immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father... How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. Oh, gracious. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Key verses. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Will it be a future of despair Or a future of hope? As this father comes and this boy is here, is this going to be a future of despair, continued despair, or is it going to be a future of hope? And I love what the father does. The father admits his hopelessness, right? Look at what the verse says. If you can do anything, he's hopeless. He's admitting it. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us if you can. This man has cynicism. This man has pessimism. He's cynical of the nine. They couldn't do it. He's cynical of Jesus, I don't know if I can trust you to do it, if you can. I'm cynical of the the Torah teachers, nobody's ever been able to help, so I don't know, why try the medicine anymore? I'm kind of cynical, why keep praying? If you can do it, he's pessimistic, isn't he? We said there's so many people in Scripture that are just like that, that spirit of Pilate, what is truth? That spirit of Thomas, unless I see him and put my nails in his hand, I won't believe. That, that cynicism and pessimism of, of Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Of Jonah, of Sarah, of so many more that you've mentioned. And this is the man I think of that has the spirit of cynicism and pessimism, kind of from his culture and kind of from his situation and his experience. He probably finds it hard to pray and to, to worship and to go through life in this. And he says these words just real honestly to God in the flesh. If you can. If you can. He, he has cynicism and pessimism, but he's desiring to move out of that and into hope. <laughs> he really does want that, and that's what our world really wants too. I think there's so many cynical and, and pessimistic people that they really want something to hope in, and we have it in the gospel. Right? We have the reasons. We've been looking at that. We go back and listen to our podcast or, or see those sermons online. right? We have hope, and people need hope. Old William Barclay says it this way. The surest way to avoid pessimism and despair is to take what immediate action we can. And there's always something to be done. Take it to Jesus, right? Take it to Jesus. This is what He does. He goes on to say these words. To approach anything in the spirit of hopelessness is to make it hopeless. To approach anything in the spirit of faith is to make it a possibility. It's possible. It's not name it, claim it, right? That's that's a lie. But it's saying, look, I'm not going to approach this in in hopelessness. That'll make it hopeless. I'm going to approach it with faith saying, it may be a possibility if if God so chooses that He can do this. If you can, have compassion on us. If you can, help us. Do something. Do, Do anything right do you remember that statement can't never could well can't never could can't never could that's really the way Jesus says it Jesus has a word for our if you can attitude if you can right Jesus has a word for that look at how he continues verse 23 And Jesus said to him if you can All things are possible for the one who believes. Right? Can't never could. If you can, can I do anything? Can you believe? There's an idiom I'm told that we miss in the original language. It just doesn't translate over, but it's kind of that play on that word can. Can I? Can you? Right? Can I do this? Can I do anything? Can you believe? Can't never could. Can you? Can I? Can? Yes. Right? Lord, if you can, we may say it this way. Lord, if you can, help my marriage. Lord, if you can, revive this church. Lord, if you can, change the heart of my children. And God says, if you can, if you can, I can. If you can. Can't never could. I I can. With God, all things are possible. That's what he's saying. All things are possible for the one who believes. Can you believe in my power? How many times do we go to the Lord that way in our prayer life or prayer requests? Lord, if you can. Lord, if you can. Lord, if you can. I'm cynical. I'm pessimistic. If you can, I don't know. Right. Instead of just praying with faith, Lord, if you will. If you so choose. Right? I know that you're able. God, I, 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 right? Help my unbelief. So go to the next words of this man. I, I love this, this situation here, right? He says, Well, he's been this way since childhood. It's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. But which is it? I'm trusting. Help my distrust. But I know exactly what he means. And chances are you do too. You know exactly what it means to pray to God Lord, I trust you, but help my distrust because my heart is mixed with both. With faith, but also with unbelief and with doubts. I believe. Help my unbelief and so The the old writer J.C. Ryle with honesty. Honestly reminds us, faith and unbelief can be mixed together in the same heart. True. Amen. Said from a great preacher. Said from all of us. We know that faith and unbelief can be mixed right there. And we are to cry out like him. I believe, help my unbelief. We must exercise one, suppress the other, right? Exercise the heart with cardio and weights and suppress the chocolate and cake, right? Or the ice cream, whatever your vice is, right? I believe it's here with, I have this, these mixed desires within me, like Paul said, what I wanna do, I don't wanna do, and what I hate, that I do. And so, how do I exercise one? And suppress the other. Well, we pray. We pray just like this man did. We pray to God. We pray and we express our heart and we ask God for help. Hasn't that been what you've been doing in this hope series? God, help me to be more hopeful. To have more hope. God, help me to overcome my cynicism and pessimism. It's Every day it's around me. On the media, at the workplace. I can't get over. So Lord, help me. I believe. Help me overcome my pessimism. Help me overcome my cynicism in this world. Oh, I love this story. From the mountain on top to the foot of the mountain and to there in the valley, from this taste of hope. And he's about to taste hope too. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verses 25 through 27. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, a lot of people coming in really quick and approaching him, Jesus often didn't really like that too much, if you really read the Gospels. He rebukes the unclean spirit. He knew their motives, right? Saying to it, he rebukes it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You'd say it this way, And stay out! Get out of here and stay out! And stay out. That's important. And never enter again. You don't want him to be repossessed, right? So he's going to give him full healing and forever healing. And He'll give us forever healing one day too. Come out. Never enter Him again. And after crying out and convulsing Him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took Him by the hand lifted Him up and He arose. He arose. Jesus steps in and He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives hope to the Father. He gives hope to the the others. He shows His hope in in a different way. There's hope. Look at verse 28 and 29. And when He had entered the house, His disciples asked Him privately, those nine, Why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, This kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It shows us that the nine had trusted in the wrong thing. Their source of hope at that moment, their substance of hope at that moment was, was misguided. It was misfounded. They had trusted in the wrong thing. Maybe their past success, right? Maybe trusting in their own powers, right? But they needed to show faith. And Jesus says, and if you had have had faith, it would have shown itself by prayer, dependence, helplessness, Lord, we can't drive this out, but You can. Right? This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. May we not be guilty of that same sin. May I not think that I can study and stand up here and preach and that things will just change apart from prayer. Right? So we pray, but I can't. But God, You can. God, may we not be guilty of just doing our plans and organizing our VBS and doing our outreach night and Sunday school and all our other ministries and the power of the flesh, right? It's easy to. Or we can do this and we can do that and we can put this on Facebook, but we can't move anybody's hearts to come to encounter hope and to experience life change. And so we have to pray. And sometimes our cynicism keeps us from praying, right? And we have to say, Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help me. Because sometimes my prayers are, are like this guy, if you can. and Right? Can't, never could. We, like the nine, we fail. We, like the nine, sometimes lack what we... Need. We, like the Father, we doubt. We, like the Father, sometimes have mistrust. But Christ is victorious. Amen? Always and forever. Christ is victorious. Let's keep going just a bit longer. Look at verse 30 through 32. They went on from there. They passed through Galilee. He didn't want anybody to know. For He was teaching His disciples. He was investing in them. He didn't want them just coming for the loaves and fishes and the mixed motives. He wanted to take time to go and to invest into them, to teach them about prayer, to teach them about hope and dependence. It says He was saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days He will rise. What's He doing? He's telling them the gospel. He's saying, And I will die on the cross for the sins of the world, and I will be buried. But on the third day, I will come out of that tomb. I will appear to many. He's telling them the gospel. There were multiple times when he predicted that. In Matthew's gospel, I think it's about three different times where he does this, foretelling the death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 32 says, But they didn't understand the same, right? They're on that side of the cross, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit, and they don't understand, right? They didn't understand. And they were afraid to ask Him. But we now know, we know the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So two scenes, right? On the mountain and off the mountain today. What do we learn? In the two scenes, we learn of Jesus. Number one, we learn of Jesus' glory. Amen? There is a King of glory. And number two, we learn of Jesus' power. He can. At the foot of the mountain, in the valley of hopelessness, He can. Jesus' glory and Jesus' power. From these two scenes, we learn who Jesus is, what He has come to do, and how we should respond to Him with faith. I urge you, I beg you today, if you're not a Christian, trust in Christ, the Savior and Lord. Put faith alone in Christ alone. Repent of your sins and be saved. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? So we prepare to respond, to come to the altar, to do business with God, and to ask Him to move in our midst. You pray. And tell God honestly about your faith, sometimes your lack of faith, about your cynicism and pessimism, about your despair, and take it to Jesus, and take it to the altar, and lift up the King of glory. And trust in the the One who has the power alone to save. For one day, Jesus will return. You see, our King Jesus, He went up to be glorified. He's on the mountain, if you will. And we are left here below. We must not become powerless, faithless, self-dependent. He's taught us how to live. But one day, just like Jesus did when He came off the mountain, one day our King shall return. He will make all right. He will heal. He will bring victory. And the question is, how will He find our faith? And what will He say? Lord God, we want to respond to You now. Lord, we want to admit that one day we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant." We want to put our hope in Christ and our trust in Jesus.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.